we'd love to get to, to know you as well. So, so guys, I don't know if you know, but we're in the middle of a series called Quit Church. Quit, how many of you guys are ready to quit church? Yeah, you guys are ready to quit church. Yeah, and, and so we, we are in the middle of a series called Quit Church, and I know in the beginning you guys are like, the pastor's telling me to quit church. I'm not sure... This is my kind of church. No, I don't know. Is it, has, he, has he off his rocker? Like, like what's happened? And so, so it's actually based on a book. My, my friend Chris Songson uh, wrote a book called Quit Church. And uh, he came and spoke here about a month ago. And, um, and so we thought, I'm going to use this book as a kind of a platform to do a sermon series out of. Because it was just so good. And so it, the concept of the book is this. is that Listen, I'm not asking you to quit church. I'm asking you to quit uh, going to church and treating church like you've always treated it. we got to quit our approach to church. And, and here's why. is because the approach that the American church is using isn't working like it should be. It's not. I don't know if you know this, but um, thousands, literally thousands of churches close their doors every year. 3,700 churches shut their doors and ceased to exist last year alone. So we're planting churches. You hear about church plants all the time. Did you guys know that in the United States, they planted 4,000 churches, which is a huge number, but it's not offsetting the amount of closures enough because the population is growing faster than 300 churches of net gain a year can handle. Guys, guys we've got to do something about the way that church is being done because we is, there's a world around us that's lost and hurting. They need Jesus. If heaven and hell is real, then we've got to get real about the way church is approached in our life. Church is not a one, once a week attendance, I show up, I walk in, sit down, walk out event. Church is actually something, I don't know if you know this, but this building isn't the church. What we're doing right now isn't church, but you are the church. You and I are the church. Church is, is, is the people. I'm not encouraging you to literally quit church. Uh, but rather to quit, let's quit our approach to church. So if you did not get a book, there's a stack of books on the way. You can grab one on the way out. They're already paid for. Uh, you guys paid for them, technically speaking. And so grab one on the way out. You already bought it. Uh, grab a book and, and you can kind of follow along, maybe even read ahead. And so this series is really about this. It's a visionary series saying that as a church, we, we have this, this goal in mind of what we're aiming for. But sometimes through life, we can drift just a little bit. You know how that goes. You don't even notice the drift until all of a sudden something is like a wake-up call. Oh, wait, I'm drifting just a little bit. I got, I got to get back on track to where, to where I need to be headed. So this is a visionary series saying, church, as we grow and as we're reaching and as we're, we're moving forward, uh, let's watch the drifting points that can happen in our life. And so this isn't a, hey, guys, our church is terrible. we got to fix it. No, this is, our church is awesome. But, but as we grow and keep moving, we've got to be able to make sure we don't fall off different, tr different avenues that, that could lead us to, to a drift. And so I, I want to start this morning by saying this, is, is that when, I, when Amber and I first got married, my wife is actually not here. I have a sick kid at home. I know, it's terrible. Um, but she's at home with a, my oldest is not feeling well. She's got a fever and stuff. But when Amber and I first got married... We rented an apartment, and because, um, and you know, we were, we were young and just getting started, so we went and rented an apartment, and um, I remember that uh, the springtime came in the apartment, and they didn't need the heater anymore. I needed this, this swamp cooler to be, if you live in New Mexico, you know what a swamp cooler is, so I needed the swamp cooler to be turned on, 
And so, I, you know, as a renter in this apartment, I was, I was like, well, I got to get this thing done. So I'm calling the front office. Hey, can I get my cooler turned on? And they say, yeah, we're, we're starting on coolers tomorrow. I'm like, that sounds great. There's 382 units in the complex, and um, um, we'll get to yours when we get to yours. And so you got to, you get kind of got to deal with it, right? And so, so I would call and complain. Hey, listen, it's really hot in here. I really need this cooler. It's uncomfortable. I just call and I call and I call. And, and, and eventually they finally got to my apartment and they turned on my swamp cooler and, and it smelled terrible for the first week because you know how it is, it's like that, that musty smell. And, and you're running it constant, the window's open. And after a week or so, you finally settle in and, and everything's running well. And then all of a sudden the cooler kind of works because, you know, it's a swamp cooler. But, 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 you know, it's like, it kind of brings it down like five degrees, right? And so you're, but, you know, I got to have to like, have to like make a lot of noise to get them to come and do it. If something's not working in the apartment, I got to call the landlord and, and say, hey, you got to fix this. You got to fix this. You got to fix this. So we rented that apartment for a while. I think it was maybe a, a year, 18 months, somewhere in that ballpark. But we were saving up because we wanted to buy a house. And, uh, and so we went and bought the house, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, no more landlord, you know? Like, no more landlord. I, 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 like, yeah, I want to get my cooler going when I want to get it going, right? I can do it when I want to do it. I, can, I don't have to live on that nasty carpet that they put in the apartment because I'm like, can you fix the carpet? And they're like, nope. Okay. You know, so now it's like, if I don't like my carpet, I can change it, right? So we bought our first house. The first springtime comes around, and it's like, oh, I can turn the swamp cooler on. I had no idea how to turn a swamp cooler on. And so I'm like, well, what do I do, you know? So I, I called my landlord, and I'm like, can you? And he's like, no, I don't own that house. And so it's, it, you know, so like, I got to fix it. I got to get the cooler going. So now it's on me to go get the cooler going. How, how many of you guys know there's a difference between owning and renting? Right? There's a difference between owning and renting. There's a different set of challenges. There's a different set of things. It's convenient when you're renting because if the roof starts to leak, somebody else pays the bill to get that thing fixed. But if the roof starts to leak when you're owning, guess what? You're paying the bill to get that thing fixed. And in fact, if the roof starts to leak when you're owning it, you might be a little bit more patient on the repair timeline than when you are renting. Because when you're renting, one drip comes into your house, and oh my gosh, you're calling the attorney general, like, like you're on this thing, and you're making noise, and you're banging the pipes, and you're, you're like rattling the cages of everybody that you can find in order to get your roof re-roofed. But when, when your house starts to leak, guess what? You're like, well, gee, I just got a bid, and that's like $8,000, and... Um, I don't have $8,000, so uh, what do I do now, right? And so you, you basically are like coming up with cheap fixes, and, and you, you give yourself more grace when you're the owner, but, but you also know that you have to come up and actually fix the unit eventually yourself. And so when the first time I had to fix my swamp cooler, I didn't know what I was doing, so I'm up on my roof watching YouTube videos, trying to figure out how to get a swamp cooler. You know, YouTube is like the university of life. And, and so I'm YouTube and swamp coolers, trying to figure this thing out. 18 trips after later from the Lowe's store, you know, the Home Depot store, 18 trips later, I finally get the thing running and I learned, I got educated eventually on how to do it. But guess what? I, ha I had a lot more patience for myself, but eventually I had to get up on the roof and actually physically do it when I'm an owner. Listen, if you're a renter versus an owner, there's a different approach, a different mentality to when you're in your house. Have you ever noticed a difference between employees and owners in restaurants or in other small businesses? And employees there, they clock in, they clock out, they kind of care. But if, if they lose that job, they know to go get another one. If you're an owner of a business, your reputation 
is relying on the performance of every single person in your company. Your reputation's on the line. Like, like you care about every detail to an obsessive point if you're the owner of the business versus the employee of the business. You see those, those little things. There's a difference between an owner and an employee. In fact, there's a difference between being a, a member of something versus an owner of something. You know, if you're, if you're a member in the club, which I'm not a member of very many clubs, just for the record, <clears throat> and, uh, and if you're a member in a place and you see something wrong, you know what you do? You go to the person who's wearing the official shirt and you tell them, hey, there's a mess over on aisle 12. We need to clean up on aisle 12. And the person in the official shirt goes and takes care of it. If you're the owner, guess what? You go back to the back room, you get to the janitorial closet, you pull out the mop and the bucket, and you clean up the mess on aisle 12. There's a difference between membership and ownership. You know, recently I was a, a guest in someone's house and over there for dinner, and, and at the end of the meal, um, I, I, you know, they, they don't, don't do anything, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, great, but at the end of the meal, I just start picking up plates and kind of carrying them into this kitchen, right? That's kind of a polite thing to do. And, and of course, my, my host is saying, no, don't do that. You don't have to pick up anything. You don't have to. And so I'm just, you know, but I, I, don't, I don't hold much, like three or four things, really, like, but I felt like a rock star because they're like, wow, so wow, thank you. You didn't have to do that. And I'm like, you know, at home, nobody does that. <laughs> like, like, I rinsed off two plates and put them in the dishwasher, and they're like, oh, Matt, wow, you're just, you're so great. At home, at home, when I start to do the dishes at home, the rest of the family scrambles to get all the other dishes and throw them on the pile before I'm done to make sure that I get them all. And, and nobody says, oh, Matt, you're so great for doing the dishes. They're like, they're like hold on, hold on, we got a couple more. And they're, they're bringing them over and putting them on the pile. And, and I'm like, and like, nobody said even thank you for me scrubbing down these dishes at home. But when I'm in somebody else's home and I'm a guest, guess what? It's not expected as a guest that I would be doing the dishes. And so sometimes this attitude can creep into the church from time to time. It can happen. I know nobody here would ever let that attitude creep into the church, but it can happen in the church sometimes. Because here's what happens is when you show up to the church for the first time, everybody treats you like a guest. Because you are. You're a guest. You're coming in, everybody's like, oh, here, let me get this for you. Do you know where the bathrooms are at? Let me show you. There's, there's people that'll grab your hand and be like, hey, here's where you check your kids in. And, and the kid check-in person is like, let me help you get in there. And there's a big smile, and they're, they're clicking away the computer. And, and, and I'm telling you, by the fifth or sixth time you come in and visit, they're like, what's up, Joe? And then you got to walk over and, like, check your own kids in, and you're like, what happened to the hospitality, I'm saying, right? And so, you know, what's going on? And, and, and we're not, it's not really that, that rough, but, but there's a shift that starts to happen because at some point in time, as you start attending a church, your attendance starts to shift into, I'm no longer a guest in this place. I'm now saying that this is home. That this is home. The first blank on your, note, on your note says this, is that family members have responsibilities. Family members have responsibilities. My children have to make their bed every day. Every day. They got to get up and make their bed. They got to clean their own room. Yeah, right? When it's laundry day, they have their little hampers in their closet on laundry day. They pull the hampers out. My little eight-year-old drags it down the hall, dumps it out, and they sort everything by color on the floor in our little color piles, right? And, and now, now Amber and I, no, Amber does the laundry. Let's, let's, be, let's be real. And so, like, she, you know, she does the laundry, but when, she's, when, when the laundry's done, the kids have to now help fold their clothes and put their own clothes back away 
into the, like, like there's responsibilities because they're part of the family. Their last name is Williams. They live under the same roof as me. This, they're, they're part of the family. There's a responsibility that starts to happen inside of this thing. Church, there's a responsibility that starts to happen when, when you assimilate into being the family of God. When you say, you know what, I'm hanging around this church and, and, and you start getting plugged in, all of a sudden you realize, guess what, I'm no longer a guest, I'm an owner. You're part of the family. And that's what happens inside of the local church. That's just what happens. This is super important because if we're not careful, the guest mindset can find its way into the church. And, and like, we don't really want to think of it that way, right? Like, it's not, that's not what we're trying to do, but the drift, like I said earlier, the drift can start to creep into what we're doing. And we can see ourselves as guests rather than as members of God's family, as members of God's family. We're part of a family here. See, thinking this way can cause us to feel that it's someone else's responsibility to serve or volunteer or give of their, their time and their, their talent. And if we're not careful, the church can become something that we, that we go to instead of something that we are part of. Today, I want you to quit going to church. That's my goal. I want you to take the steps to quit going to church and to start becoming the church. Some of us are on this journey already. We're, we're maybe a step or two down the road. And I want to encourage you that, that if you're already on this journey of, of leaving the, the mentality of, of not don't go to church, I, I am becoming the church. I'm part of the church. I want to encourage you to keep taking those steps. Keep working that way. Because I'm telling you, there's a benefit to being part of a church. There's a benefit to be longing and being the church rather than just, oh, I just go to church. You see, members have rights. But owners, they have responsibility. If you're an owner of a business, your employees have rights. But if you're the owner of the business, you have a lot of responsibility. Church, we are the church. We are all the church. It's funny, as I grew up in church, I, I've always just been part of church. I, I don't really know anything else but church. My dad was a pastor for like 25 years, like, like I was a pastor's kid growing up, and I got to see all these different aspects and things in church, and, and it was interesting growing up, and there was something that my dad talked about that, that um, I, I saw it when I was a kid, and I still see it today, but there's a fundamental shift that happens inside of a person, and you see it in the pronouns that they use, and the verbs that they use, and the adjectives that they use when they start to talk about church. So here's what it looks like. Hey, pastor, you got a great church here. Hey, pastor, I always feel, I always feel like encouraged when I come to your church. It's really great. Man, pastor, the worship you got there is like really incredible. But here's the shift that happens. And, and, and it's so subtle that we start to see it is, is, hey, pastor, man, I just love our church. God, my church is so good. Like, I can't believe the caliber of worship that we have in our, in our church not your church, it's, it's our church. There's something that starts to shift. And, it, and it's a subtle thing, but, but I want to encourage you, church, as you, as you talk about City Church and as you talk about this community of believers that you are all part of because you're here today and you're all part of this group, I want to encourage you, start to think about how do you talk about our church? How do you voice our, is, is it your church and I show up every so often or is it our church and I'm actually part of this body of believers? that we call City Church here today. It's funny, and I, growing up and watching this, 
I, I've seen this, this pattern, and, and, is that, and, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up, but there's this funny pattern that I'll see with, with Christians. And Christians will treat the church sometimes as some sort of like spiritual buffet that's like designed to serve them. I'm going to go to that church's worship night. I'm going to go to this one's Sunday morning. That one over there has a great ladies' event. The youth group over that church over there is just incredible. So I'm going to take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. I'm going to consume a little here, a little there, a little there, a little there, a little there. And I'm going to make sure that I'm fed and I'm taken care of and, and that I've got my needs met. And, and it's like all of a sudden it can slip into this pattern where all of a sudden it's a consumer mindset where we become a consumer church and church is about me getting my needs met, not about me joining in to the work of Jesus and serving God and his purpose and his mission. It becomes flipped around and it's so subtle and it happens so gradually and then eventually it kind of shifts into this thing where it becomes unhealthy. I want to challenge us that that church isn't a buffet to where I get my needs met. It's not. And then what happens is we start grading churches on things that aren't even scriptural. Well, I pulled a DB, put a, a, a decibel meter on my iPhone so I could measure the volume of the worship. And if it's between 86 and 88, then I can be okay. But if it goes above 88, then gee, I don't know if this is really the church for me. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. In fact, anything I see that make a joyful noise, make a loud praise, smash those cymbals extra hard, let's beat the drums. Like, like you know, like there's a, there's a level of, of like exuberance that you see in the Bible when it comes to expressing your praise and your worship. And, and then things start to get a little weird because then it's like, well, I'm just not feeling fed there. And, and somehow along the way, we did, we've turned our, and, and this is just in a United States culture almost, we've turned our Christian walk and our faith walk into this thing where, where we think that spiritual development has turned from sermon to ears, and it's not. It's Christian development and your spiritual development is life on life. It is called being a disciple along with other people, growing together and doing life together. That's why small groups are so important. It's not sermon to ears. I mean, I, I'm not discounting what I do here. I mean, I certainly don't want you to, but if, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this element of like, it can't just be that. And if that's all it is, I bet you're not getting fed. If I only ate once a week, I'd be starving too. Right? Like there's got to be this ongoing feeding that starts to happen. And the mission of the church is not how good I can preach a sermon and how good I can make you feel. And some weeks I think I do a good job of that and some weeks I don't. And this is probably one where I don't know how you're going to feel about it afterwards. But because but, uh, it's a little bit on the harder side and I, and I apologize for that. But not everything that's in the scripture is easy to take, right? Sometimes you got to go, okay, I'm going to examine my heart. My hope is that after today you would examine yourself and say, have I slipped down this path or am I slipping down this path? And what do I need to do about it? And may, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe not. So here's the thing. I want you to quit going to church and start belonging to one. Quit going to church and start belonging to one. So life requires us to quit things in order to get something better in exchange. And we see this all through life. If you want better finances, you've got to quit some negative spending habits. If you want better health, You've got to quit some negative eating habits. You can't just do McDonald's and Taco Bell and expect to have a healthy body. You've got to put healthy food. You've got to quit eating the bad stuff. If you want a better marriage, you've got to quit being a jerk. <laughs> Can I get an amen? 
And you want a better church, guess what? If you want a better church, we gotta quit going to church and start becoming the church. If we want a better church, we gotta stop going and start becoming. There's a shift that needs to happen inside of each and every one of us. And so here we go. I'm gonna look at a guy in the Bible. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one is where we're gonna be at here in the beginning. And uh, Nehemiah was um, almost the shortest guy in the Bible. Nehemiah. I know, it's terrible. There's another guy that's shorter. Anyhow, we'll talk about him a different week. We meet Nehemiah in chapter one. So Nehemiah is this. He's a cupbearer to the king. He's a cupbearer to the king. So he's like a, a, an upper-level executive trusted by the king. He's at his right-hand side. He, he's a guy that's, that's there that is, helps make major decisions. He's at the top level of leadership, and, and he's a cupbearer. So he actually might be doing the guy that does the sipping to make sure that's not poison, and, and he's, he's watching over food. He's got some heavy-duty responsibilities. He's got all kinds of things that he's, he's doing. He's, he's at the high level. He's the corner office with all the windows guy. You know, at your office, when you look and you're like, that guy, he's made it to the top, you know, and he's that guy. He's, he's up near the top. He's a top-level trusted executive in the administration. And although he's living in the palace, what, what I would consider, many would consider to be the pinnacle of your, like, corporate career, the pin, he's living in the palace at a high level, God breaks his heart for his city, for his home city. You see, his home city is Jerusalem. And it had been completely demolished. The walls had been around the city had been broken down, and, and, and the, the city was in ruins, and it needed to be repaired. And when he hears the news that his people are in exile, the walls are torn down, and the gates have been burned. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days multiple days. I don't know how many. So many he couldn't call it like one or two. He said some. But that's, that's a lot. A lot of days maybe. Some days I sat down and wept. Or sorry, and some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I want you to notice something here. Nehemiah, Nehemiah saw a need and it broke his heart. He wept and fasted and prayed. And as he did, God began to give him a dream. One day, Nehemiah was serving the king, and the king noticed his countenance and asked what was wrong. Nehemiah told him of his home city and the destruction, and, and the king, he responds. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, I'm going to pause for a second, because I feel like there's some, this isn't in my notes, my dad used to do this every once in a while, if you guys were ever around my dad, and, and he would like pause in his sermon, and he'd be like, this isn't in my notes, so it's free, like you didn't pay for this part, right? You know, so my dad would do this. So anyhow, I just, I feel like maybe there's somebody here this morning that, that you have a major decision in your life, and maybe you've reached what would, some others would say that you, the pinnacle of your performance. Like, I, I don't know, maybe this is just one person in the room, but I just, I'm going to roll with this. So I just feel like God was kind of downloading this in my head, that there's somebody here that, that you've got this pinnacle, uh, that you've reached the corner office, you've, you've reached that, that peak, and everybody else around you would say, that's the pinnacle and, and maybe God is speaking to you that, that you're going to leave that pinnacle position um, and that God's calling you to do something that is maybe others would consider beneath you, but because it's your passion, um, that maybe God's, like, think about it. The guy went from upper level office, corporate executive, cupbearer, to a construction worker who's going to go build walls. In the world's view, like he made this major shift, right? 
And, and so I, I just want to say, if, if, that's, if that's something that God's stirring in your heart, where you're at, this, this major shift in, inside of you, listen, I, I want to say that you got to have some guideposts. Don't just jump off and do it. Look at what, even look what Nehemiah did. He fasted, he prayed, he sought the Lord. Listen, listen you got you to do some serious soul searching in this transition or this change that, that maybe you are personally considering. And is, is that you've got to make sure it lines up with scripture because I'm going to tell you that God will never lead you to do something that will violate his word. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that, number one. Uh, number two, I want you to pray, even fast and pray. Really seek the Lord and God, what is it that you're leading me to do? Because if you do the right thing in the wrong timing, you can really cause some problems. And so, so even if God's leading you to something, and to seek the Lord even for the timing on exactly how to do it. Um, and then find some trusted counsel. That's why small groups are so important because you build relationships with people who, who have your back and they love the Lord and they'll help you search in, in the scripture and even help you find clarity of maybe where God is leading you. So I just want to challenge somebody here today that, that to make sure that you're crossing it over with the scripture, make sure that you're taking the appropriate time to study and to, and not study, but to fast and to pray and to really seek the Lord and then find wise counsel and ask them to, to help you. Sorry, that's totally random, but somebody here I hope was blessed by that. And so Nehemiah chapter 2, the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Here's Nehemiah's dream, to rebuild a city. Let me go rebuild a city. That's a big dream. That's a lot of work. Like you're going to move to like some other city. Even, think of a small city. Are you going to go rebuild a small city, even in New Mexico, right? Go find a, that, that's a lot of work to rebuild a city. I would say that that's a God-sized dream. It's a God-sized dream with, with a God-sized risk because he's giving up this place of privilege and, and, and power and authority and trust and, and kind of this comfortable life to be able to go pursue this God-sized dream. It's not something that Nehemiah can do on his own. So I did a little research on, on the city. The length of the walls is approximately two and a half miles long. They would have been about eight foot wide and roughly 40 feet tall. Eight foot wide, 40 feet tall, two and a half miles long. It would have been surrounded by different like columns, like watchtower posts, if you will, like sniper stations maybe, like, like you know, for defense. And then there would have been some gates around there. In fact, in the research, there's 34 watchtowers and eight gates. This is a big job. Does he have any masonry experience at all? I mean, I don't even know. I'm not sure what his qualifications would be. It's a huge job. And let me tell you that the, God, the job that God called you to do and the job that God called our church to do is a big job as well. Our church has a, has a calling on it and a purpose to reach our city. And we have a city-sized call on our church. Listen, I can't do that alone. And honestly, you can't do it alone either. And I look around the room and I think, the people that are here and part of our church, we can make a pretty significant dent into that dream and into that vision of what God's calling our church to do. But guess what? We're not enough either. We've got to start gathering more people to be able to have the bigger impact so that we can make a difference in our city even greater than what we're doing right now. And so we have to have this, we have this God-side dream. Listen, we're not just about ourselves here at City Church. We're, we're committed to making Albuquerque a better place. We're committed to expanding the kingdom of God in our city. It's, we didn't call ourselves City Church because it had two C's and kind of sounded catchy. Although we've run with the two C's. I don't know if you've noticed. We have Connect Class and City Crew. Okay, anyhow, but we've just run with it. But we, we do that because we believe that God is calling us to reach our city. 
We want people to know God. I don't know if you know that, but we want people to know God, not just know about God. There's a lot of people that know about him out there, but we want people to actually have a relationship with God and know him on a personal one-on-one basis. We want people to find freedom. We want people to understand that, that God wants to cut the baggage off of people's lives and off of, off of people's backs. Like they're carrying this extra weight. Some of it's like depression or oppression or possession or, or addiction or, or something else. There's, there's forces at play even outside of them. Maybe it's from their past that God needs to cut some things off to then find some freedom from that. God wants to do that all through the Bible. He's always bringing freedom for, for people. And so we want people to know God. And we want people to find freedom. And, and I want you to discover your purpose because I really believe that God's given you a purpose and I want you to make a difference. And today I'm talking about that, discovering your purpose and, and making a difference with who God has made you to be. So this is, this is how Nehemiah rebuilt his city. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28, it says, Above the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. Here's the plan. God gave it to Nehemiah, each in front of his own house. If each person or family loves the part of city that is nearest to them. That's the plan. That's the plan in Nehemiah. Let's just rebuild the part that's next to me. Right? People started moving into the city, and, and I'm going to set up here, and hey, right in front of my front door, there's a gap in the wall. I think I'm just going to repair that part right there. You can look around where God has placed you already. But in your neighborhood, do you know all your neighbors? Do you pray for them in your neighborhood? Do you know what their needs might be? You know, in, their neighbor, in your neighborhood, there might be something there, or in your workplace, or in your office, or, or who are the people that God has placed into your life? And, and, and when you start to look around, you start to think, well, I can just start to love and work on that. What if I just love those people into being into a relationship with Jesus? Each person or family repairs a part of the city that's nearest to them. You know, as you read through chapter 3, you'll notice these words over and over, next to them, the next section, or next to him. See, the task was big. The walls were in disarray, but it became manageable when everyone pitched in. In fact, if you look, there's over 42 different groups that helped pitch in to help make the, the dream come true. There were walls to be rebuilt. So think about how simple the strategy was. Repair the section next to you. Done, right? That's it. Just fix the, repair the section next to you. Oh, that's not super complicated. Can I just... Love the person next to me. Can I just care for the one that's in front of me? Mother Teresa says, well, maybe you can't take care of a hundred, but you can take care of the one. Can you just do the one? Can you just do the one? What if we adopted this strategy? What if each of us played our part in this church family that we have right here, and we all did that? I'm just going to do the part that's in front of me, the part that's easy, the part that's not necessarily easy, but the part that's there. So what keeps people from doing their part? I think um, sometimes we think our part doesn't matter. This little part in front of me isn't, it's just one brick. It's just one brick, it's just or one little section, or one, it's, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Or maybe you just haven't discovered yet what your God-given gifts are. Like, I'm just kind of hanging out, but I don't even fully understand, like, maybe how God's wired me, or or what kind of gifts and talents he's given me. Or maybe you know what they are, but you haven't developed them yet. Or you know your giftings, but you don't know how they play a part in the bigger picture. God gifted me with my first house. 
And the project that was right in front of me was my swamp cooler. And I didn't know how to do it. So I went to the store and I bought one part, and it wasn't quite right, but I had to kind of keep working at it, keep chipping away at it. Now, oh, I, I, can, I can own any, any swamp cooler out there, right? Like, like I'm a swamp cooler master, you know, which is like a, only like a New Mexico skill, but <laughs> doesn't transfer anywhere else. But, but I'm telling you that once you get some experience, it's like, man, I can walk up to any swamp cooler, diagnose problems, and fix it now, because I've been messing around swamp coolers for great, over a decade. Now, I, I see people going like, I'm going to call that guy. But, <laughs> but I've been messing with them for all these years. Guess what? The, the, the development of my swamp cooler mastering skills didn't happen on day one. It happened through time. I want to encourage you that, that if you see a need in front of you, you might feel underqualified. I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure what to do, how to, I'm not, I'm not really, you kind of get a little bit antsy and you think, well, until I fully understand every single step that's necessary, I'm not even going to start on step one. I want to encourage you to start on step one. You'll probably mess some stuff up. You'll have to make multiple trips to Lowe's, try to figure out how to make it happen. But, but I want to encourage you, take that first step. I want to ensure you too that, that this morning that God knew what he was doing when he created you. And you were created exactly the way God wants you and exactly the way that he needs you right here in this place. So I was rereading Nehemiah in verse three. There was this verse that kind of stuck out to me. There's a block of verses like verse six, chapter three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in there. But in Nehemiah chapter eight, this is what stuck out to me. It says, Uziel, the son of Heriah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So when the goldsmith repaired his section of wall, was it like shiny and gold? And did the perfume lady, did hers smell good? What do goldsmiths and perfume people know about masonry and building walls? Nothing. But God used them anyway to help them build it. God is in the business of using the most unqualified people. He's in the business of using the most unqualified people to accomplish God-sized dreams. I'm telling you, that's what he's in the business of. He doesn't look for the most qualified person and put them in the place that they need to be in. He says he looks for the willing servant who's willing to do it, and he calls them and then qualifies them to do it. I'm telling you, if you feel unqualified for the task right in front of you, you're in good company. Because all through the Bible, you see it all the time. In fact, if you felt comfortable like you could do it on your own power, it wouldn't be a God-sized dream. It wouldn't be a God-sized miracle. God wants to work a miracle through your life to impact other people around you. And when you feel unqualified and, and unready and unprepared to do what, what God's putting in front of you, that's the exact place you need to be so that you are 100% reliant on God coming through in the moment to get you through it. See, God used people from all walks of life to repair the city. See, God's in the business of using unqualified people to accomplish God-sized dream. So here's the deal. What you do is not who you are. What you do is not who you are. You might be a teacher, a policeman, fireman, an engineer, a doctor. I don't know what everybody does around here, but, but what you do is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Sometimes we get confused and we think that what we do is who we are. And, and I just, so we limit ourselves because, because we say, I'm only good at doing this one thing. 
well, I'm a doctor, so I can't run the, anything in the technology booth. I got to be a computer scientist or something to be able to handle all that stuff back there. No, that's, that's not the case, right? You can come from any walk of life, and God can use you in any other area of life because it's not about what you personally possess, but it's about what God possesses and what he wants to do through you. In fact, we actually need help with people to help with running the projector right now. So if you are interested running the projector, go talk to the guys in the booth because um, they, they need a little help with that. So maybe there's something that God has put inside of you, though, and it's churning inside of you, but you haven't gotten involved because the church doesn't advertise a specific area that you'd like to contribute. If that's you, I'd like to encourage you to inquire with leaders in the church and say, hey, can we do this? You know that? We weren't looking for security people. I, I, I don't know if you know that we have added a security team now. They have little earpieces and stuff and like pepper spray. I don't really know what else they carry. I'm not going to ask. Um, but they, they have earpieces and there's a security team now that has like protocols and stuff. You know, it wasn't like we were, we were like, well, we got to have a security because we're a church now. What happened is there was a leader in our church who had a passion and desire and said, you know what, I think we should have a security team. And so they led the charge to be able to build up and train leaders. And now they have people in place running everything. And, and so now we have this security team in place. It's not like I, my dad at the top when he was a pastor said, you know what we need to do is have someone outreaching to the homeless community in our church. No, no, no. What happened is God stirred the heart in somebody in the church and they said, you know, I see a need and I'd like to fill it. And so now we have a small group that's focused on outreaching to the homeless community. Listen, if God is exposing and showing you a need inside of the church, it doesn't mean that you go to someone who's wearing the official church shirt and say, there's a cleanup on aisle 12. If God is showing you a need inside of our church, inside of our city, if you see a need, I believe that God is putting that in you and in your heart and in your mind so that you can now fill that need. The church needs you. This world needs you. That, that, that's what it is, is God wants to work through you to make a difference and an impact into this, this city that we live in. See a need and fill a need. What's interesting is that in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that um, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Sometimes we can look at the shiny parts of people in the church. We can, we can look at the things that, that are easy to see and, and we think that they're the most important. But it's not the case. Every part of the body is important. We can look at, at, at an eye or an ear or, or a mouth and think, well, that's got to be one of the more important or the brain is the more important thing. But have you ever, like, broken your baby toe? Holy cow, that will wreck your life. Yeah, I didn't realize how much that really was impacting my life. But that little part that, that nobody really ever sees has a huge impact on the body as a whole. Listen, there's, there's no part that's too small or too big inside of the body of Christ. We're all part of it. We're all owners in this. We're all part of the family. And so there's nobody else like you. God designed you specific, unique. And God needs you and this church needs you and this city needs you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have to re have received to serve others. And in Matthew chapter 20, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Which means this, that even Jesus said, and if anybody should be served, it's Jesus. And Jesus shows up and says, I didn't come to serve, I to be served, I came to serve. And if we're Christ followers and we're trying to follow Jesus in our walk, and, and then, then my goodness, shouldn't we be also in that same mentality? We're not here to be served, but we are here to serve. See, serving is not a popular concept in this selfish, self-serving, make-your-own-path, build-your-own-kingdom-get-rich, make-a-name-for-yourself world that we live in today. If we don't pay attention, I'm afraid that attitude could potentially creep in to the church. 
And I don't think any of us would want that. You know, we weren't created to sit on the sidelines. We weren't created to sit on the stands. It's not that we sit in the stands and watch a handful of people play the game. We're all created to play. We all have a role to play and a part to fit and, and a piece to do. And so I'm looking for people this morning that say, you know what, coach, put me in. All right, God, you give me something I can work with. God, what do you want me to do? Coach, put me in. I want to play. I want to get off the stands and I want to, and I want to get into the game. I got three points of application at the bottom of your notes. Number one is this, is, is I choose ownership over attendance. Choose ownership over attendance. Attendance leads to a mentality of rights without responsibilities. See, this is God's house, but, but we are his children. This is God's house. Where we're, I'm, I'm his children. I'm his child. Like, I, and, and I have a responsibility that, that, of the role that I fill inside of the church. You do too. Just like my kids, they're in my house, and they have responsibilities. We all have responsibilities, and God is the one who's the head of our, the head of our church. They'll make their beds. My kids make the beds and help with the laundry. Number two is this. Not a need we have, but a purpose you were created for. Not a need that we have, but a purpose you were created for. So here's the part of the wall that needs to be fixed, but only you can fix it. There's a part of the wall that needs to be fixed that only you're going to fix it. Don't let your, don't let your occupation limit your view of what you can or can't do. You don't need to wait for someone to approach you. You don't need to wait for someone at the top to say, have you ever thought about this? Maybe God's put something in you that God wants to do through you and he's already lit a passion for you, in it, in you for it. You can start now. You see, this isn't my church. This is our church. I'm going to close now if the band wants to come out and get ready. And point number three is this, is God created you to serve. God created you to serve. Well, the good news is that there's benefits to serving. You may know that, you may not, but number one is this, is serving provides you with a purpose and fulfillment. Serving provides you with purpose and fulfillment. It's, it's interesting, we can, we can work in our marriages and we can find some purpose and fulfillment in our marriage. You know, same with parenting, as a parent, I have kids and I can find some purpose and I can find some fulfillment inside of there. You know, even at, at, at your workplace or, or, or different clubs that you're part of, you can find purpose and fulfillment inside of the different realms that you're at. But there's a piece and a part of you that God wired and designed for us to serve other people. And you can find purpose and fulfillment when you start to do that. There's a piece of your heart that will never experience fulfillment until you use your time and talents to serve the kingdom of God. There's a part there on the inside that, that is still there waiting to be, find purpose and fulfillment. My kids had these toys when, when they were young, and it was like a, a big plastic ball, and um, there were shape cutouts on the side of, of the thing, and then there was different shapes that you could stick inside of it, right? There was like a star and a square and a circle, and... and into this little shape cutout toy for the kids. And, um, and, and I remember the kids would, like when they were little, they just wanted to put whatever shape into whatever hole and it didn't quite work. But you know, they found a way that the circle would actually fit inside the square hole and they could get it into the, 
contraption because a circle would actually fit through the square hole because there was a, maybe in my opinion, a design flaw. But uh, I think they, anyhow, somebody didn't think that one all the way through, but round pegs don't fill square holes. They just don't. There's a square hole inside of your heart about serving and, and being used by God to extend his kingdom around you and to be a conduit for the grace and love of Jesus to flow through you. There's a square hole inside of every one of us. And it, you can take the fulfillment of your parenting or your marriage or your kids or your job, and you can get that round thing to kind of halfway fit in there, and you can find some fulfillment. But I'm telling you, you're not filling the hole up all the way until you find a way to allow God to flow through you into others. Number two is serving nourishes the soul. If you've ever been in a place where you help people who couldn't help themselves, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been on a missions trip. You've gone with the homeless group down to go feed people. You go to this place where you're giving and you're helping other people and you walk away from that moment. And no matter what it is, you walk away from that moment and you walk away and there's part of you that says, I feel like I got more out of it than they did. It nourishes your soul because God wired you to be this way. Serving provides health benefits. When you volunteer, it's that you can go do the medical research, but when you volunteer, it actually brings down levels of stress and anxiety in your life when you start to volunteer. Because the pressures of life can become so overwhelming on your own mind and in your own way that you become in, internally focused and it starts to wear you out. But when you start to become externally focused on somebody else and help them out, what happens is, is your problems start to move out of the way, your stress levels come down, and you start to become a blessing to someone else. God wired us in such a way that even volunteering and giving and serving other people brings benefits to our own mental health and our own way of doing life. And the fourth one is this, is that your church wins. Your church wins. God created our church to be a lighthouse to a world in need. Our church has a vision to be able to reach our city. In fact, we are formulating right now, and I'm letting the cat out of the bag a little bit, we're formulating right now what we're gonna call our 2020 vision as a church, because it's cool for marketing, right? 2020 vision, you get it? But by the end of 2020, we actually have some goals of what we wanna see our church accomplish by the end of 2020. We're not just coming in every week and kind of doing the same thing, but we wanna see some progress because we believe that God is giving us a vision to be able to reach our city. So here's the deal, is we wanna see more young families coming into our church. We want to see more young families coming into our church. You know why? It's because if we don't reach the next generation, it dies with us. And I'm not okay with that. And so we've got to be able to reach the next generation. And so we have a goal to be able to say, hey, by the end of 2020, can we get up to 75 young families inside of our church? That's a little over two years away. Can we start to do that? Which means this, as a church, we've got to start inviting people who are young families to start being part of our church. And our church isn't just for young families. We're not checking IDs at the door. But we're going to be a church of all ages who reaches the next generation. Because if we don't do it, the church will die. And so we have to do it. We have to. There's not an option. And so by the end of 2020, we want to grow with young families. We want to see moms and dads and kids and, and everybody growing closer to Jesus and becoming more alive in Him as they're going on this faith journey. And so we have this thing. We want to see people who are far from God getting saved. And by the end of 2020, we want to see it happening on a weekly basis to where every week it, we see people getting saved and giving their life to Jesus. Not, not that, hey, some weeks it happens. Some, no, like every week we want to see people 
We want to see three people. We want to average three people a weekend getting saved, whether it's in a small group or in a service or, or somewhere else. We want to be able to track this through and know, hey, our church is, is headed to a place. Guys, we have a 2020 vision. And I don't just want people to be showing up and gathering and just attending and leaving because we want people to get life on life and to be able to start to become disciples and growing, which means we want to see 80% of the people that are coming to our church involved in a small group. We have life on life and, and, and things are growing. We're not just going to church, but we're becoming the church. We can't accomplish this. This isn't just me. It's a we thing. We, we can't accomplish this without everyone saying, okay, well, what's in front of me? I'm a goldsmith, but, I'll, but I'll, I'll lay a brick. I'm a perfume person, but I can lay a couple bricks and I'll make them smelly on the way. And they smell good. Do you know a young family? Do you know someone who's far from God? Are you involved in a small group? Do you know someone who's not involved in a small group? We can be a church that invites people to join into the work of what God's doing in our city. I want to tell you that when you serve, when you take ownership, when you get involved, the church wins. The church wins. We take steps towards reaching our city. You become part of the family and others become part of the family too. So you were created for this. Church, don't sit on the sidelines. It's not a spectator sport. God has a play for you, and he wants you to join in on the game. Will you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for, for City Church right now. God, that you have a vision for our church, and you have a purpose for what we're doing. And so, God, I ask that you would help bring clarity into the minds and hearts of everyone that's here this morning. God, that, that they would be, um, that we would help find our purpose God, help for, for us that sometimes get tempted to take a step back and sit on the sidelines. God, God maybe it's just for a little breather, but, but God, let us get back in the game again. Let us not get too comfortable sitting in the stands. God, help us to be owners and participants in, in, in our church and not just attendees that show up every other week. God, help our attitude so we can stay focused on your purpose. Help us see that your purpose is greater than our preference. Let us run the race that you've set before us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, the ushers are going to come. We're actually going to receive our tithes and our offerings at this time. Now, if you were a visitor with us, we'd love to get um, that Connect card to help you get connected. And so you can put that in the bucket as it comes by. And so they're already going to start passing it, but I'm going to pray over it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to give. Now, we see that giving is, and generosity is a form of worship. And so we worship you not just with our actions, but also with our finances. And, and so, God, I pray right now that you would help these finances have an impact in our city, an exponential impact in our city. And so, God, help it to be that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's stand and let's sing one last song this morning.